fake out. <laughs> no, I was I was intending to go before you. Oh, you were? Okay, I, 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 I just made a gesture like I was going to talk and then didn't because I thought I could bait you into it. I intended to go first. I was actually listening for the click of you hitting record was Uh what I was trying to key off of rather than your gestures. Offsides. Um, (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, This is, as you can tell from that- Our witty banter. Urbane and intelligent banter. This is a show about lawyers. Thinking like a lawyer, uh, I'm Joe Patrice. That's Catherine Rubino. We're editors at Above the Law, and we're your hosts for this wet and wild journey through the legal world. Well, okay, well, maybe That not. seemed weird. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. Well, it's not wet, I suppose. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's summer. There are fire hydrants open and stuff. That is a very specific summertime image yeah. that I don't think you have ever participated in. I mean, no, because I don't, you know, I'm not. Because you did not grow up in New York City is what. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. fair. But I mean, I, I, I've i seen them. I don't like jumping into you never high even pressure like, water. But you never even like did a sprinkler as a kid? Oh, sprinklers. Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's the same thing, right? It's, it's the yeah, same. Yeah, except one of them's, you know, a pressure hose. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it. It's it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. So anyway, th- we are. It's it's officially summertime, though. I think is the point. Yes, and that's why I was it's saying wet and, wild, wet and wild. Which I mean, I get like the various connotations of that, but I still think wet and wild is like the cheap makeup brand that you oh. get at like Target or Kmart, R.I.P. Kmart. But it was like ninety nine cents for like a shade of lipstick. Mm. Like back in the day, it was yeah. like ooh. I could have like a, a range of colors at my disposal. That brings us to our new sponsor, Wet n' Wild Cosmetics. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so, okay. Well, whatever. My point was we're going to talk about some of the big legal stories of the week. And occasionally cosmetics. And see, we should cross-promote cos- this with Fashionista. Oh, Ha-ha. that's – see? Oh, you're just like on brand. That's yeah. your whole thing. Yeah, fashionista being uh, fashionista.com, a uh, website about the fashion industry that our corporate, corporate overlords also yeah, we're, own. Our, our, no, they're our corporate, they're not our overlords, they're our corporate entity siblings. Uh, yes, I, yes, 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 yes. We are of, owned by the same parents. Right. Well, well, I was, my whole hang up was that, you know, in very Supreme Court law school nerd, I wanted to say brethren, but obviously that's, you know, not. You know, that's a gendered term yeah. that doesn't really, that definitely doesn't apply here. So I was like, <laughs> it's got to be something else. And I hadn't really worked out what yeah. it was. Our corporate siblings, I like that. That siblings is yeah. right. Anyway, we have now gone far, far longer on <laughs> stuff that is completely irrelevant than one would have hoped. Uh, well, I'll be- tell you, I mean, maybe makeup's just on my mind because I feel like we're getting back to life, you know, like no. I, I've gone almost, you know, over a year without really thinking much about makeup or various social niceties, which I will now be participating in on the regs. Mm, okay. Are you excited for summer? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, not so much summer. It's one of my least favorite seasons. Okay, but there's only four. I, right. I think yeah, you can no, have I, a definitive I, That's why rating. you caught me pause myself after I said one of, and I was like, this is going to end badly. <laughs> what, what, uh, what else don't you like? Everything that's not fall. So. <laughs> are you are you secretly a white girl? Oh, yeah, no, interesting. I mean, listen, fall is the best. I get my, it. my interest is not in the pumpkin spice latte. Uh, it's more. That's when the college football college football's back. It's when the temperature is about where I'd want it to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it, it, spring also has kind of that same temperature, but it's always getting worse as opposed to this. It's always getting better. So, yeah. I mean, anyway. I, I'm a sucker for a cardigan, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Love Taylor cardigans. Swift's got it right. Mm. Cardigans are where are my jam. There so. you go. I do like that about the fall, and I like layering in a nice big scarf. Like, that's do you want just... to talk about law at any point today? I mean, if you don't, <laughs> I mean, we're, not... <laughs> we're okay. Fine. Okay. Well, no. So we're gonna chat about law school, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about going to law school. Uh, that's actually gonna be how we start off. We're gonna talk about going to law school, and when you go, you hope to graduate. Yes. But what if? <laughs> but what if instead? You made some jokes about the people at the Federalist Society. Ah, I, I thought it almost felt like we were about to do an ad read, and I, I don't necessarily read all the ads ahead of time. And I was so you like, don't know what's coming. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Do we have a new ad? Something. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it was like one of our. I don't know. I thought maybe it was a creative way to get into an ad. But yes. So there was a whole big scandal uh, last week uh, at Stanford Law School. A student had made um, a parody about the Federalist Society back in January. I think it was January 25th. He sent around to an, a listserv that is dedicated to talking about politics and other sort of contemporary issues. Uh, and it was, it was, you remember January, it seems like one million years ago, but we had a coup attempt, if you'll recall. Right. And the Federalist Society came under some criticism for not distancing itself from some prominent members that you know, really encouraged a lot of uh, <laughs> upset feelings uh, over the um, 2020 election. And so they had been put under the microscope for their inability or lack of desire to kind of distance themselves from the coup. And as a result, a student mocked up this kind of fake flyer talking about Josh Hawley and about the insurrection. So it got sent around. I mean, the, the title is The Originalist Case for Inciting Insurrection, RSVP here. It's put together as though it's one of the yeah, featuring Josh Holiday. Ubiquitous. Yeah, there's pictures of Holly and all, mm -hmm. um, but it's put together as one of those ubiquitous, if you ever go to a law school, Federalist Society pamphlets that are out there like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, hey, we're going to have lunch and pizzas here, yeah. uh, which is how they yeah. get you. Go yeah. on. But it was very clearly a parody. Uh, I believe that the date uh, that the it was the RSVP yeah, date was, was on already, January 6th. Yeah, yeah, it was already it happened. Yeah. Uh, all this kind of stuff is very clearly parody, although got sent around a bunch of places. Um, I think USA Today put an article out being like, this is parody. This is not real. Whatever. A few months later, there was a complaint issued by some members of the Stanford Federalist Society saying that it had uh, disparaged them. And so the university launched an investigation into it. But the student who wrote the, uh, I think his name is Nicholas Wallace, uh, he found out about the investigation the last day of class, just as he's about to study for finals. And uh, as part of the ongoing investigation, the university put a hold on his uh, diploma and said that he wouldn't be able to graduate with the investigation pending. This goes public. Mark Joseph Stern at um, Slate did a ton of reporting, kind of uh, real time on it. And the backlash was swift and severe. And in a ma matter of hours, all of a sudden, the university was able to 
decide that uh, this was protected speech uh, in California. There's a law, I think it's Leonard's law, uh, that makes it particularly clear that somebody can't be stopped from graduating because of these sorts of protected political speech. And uh, it was cleared up in a matter of hours after the press got involved. Yeah. And let's clarify, when we're saying university, it's because it was handled at the university level. Mm -hmm. The law school itself administration was not the ones doing this, is what, from what we gather. Um, right. They've put out several statements mm -hmm. at this point because uh, in the initial reporting, it wasn't clear. And they put out several statements saying that it was done at the university level. And indeed, they had encouraged the university to resolve the matter quickly. Which is good because it, it, it just helps... I think all of us to know that these mm -hmm. people at Stanford Law School itself are familiar with how law works, <laughs> it, uh, it is which encouraging. isn't necessarily true of everybody. Uh, it certainly seems to not be true of the university level mm -hmm. over at Stanford. So with that said, there was an attempt to get this kid in trouble because he mm -hmm. made jokey jokes about the Federalist Society. Yeah, and I mean, it really, it was in the middle of finals, right? So to say that somebody's going to be distracted in the middle of all of this was, was very true. Now, where we come in, uh, obviously, we're also reporting on this as mm -hmm. it happens. But where we really come in and the thing that distinguished above the law in this area was we took a slightly... We took a different step beyond that was slightly beyond what the reporting at Slate had done. Uh, what we did is, uh, at Above the Law, it came to our attention, the names of the Federalist Society students who had filed right. the complaints, complaints with that the had put the kid in trouble. Mm -hmm. With that said, we had a long conversation. Editorial about, conversation. Editorial yeah. conversation. Behind about the scenes. Yeah. What to do with this. Mm -hmm. uh, we have had a longstanding policy of not naming students when they're involved in embarrassing incidents. It, you get drunk and make a pass at a partner's uh, wife at a event, for instance, or mm -hmm. you are fall uh, into an uh, fall into, into the, the river. river. Well, fall into the river was actually reported in the mainstream media, so that one's different. But uh, <laughs> but you you, yeah, you, you moon just, the yeah. other the the mm -hmm. other bus uh, at a summer event. Uh, these sorts of screw ups, or indeed the one that came recently, which we didn't write write a specific thing on, uh, but was also widely reported in the New York Times. The student who kind of utilized racial epithet but while discussing a case like we will we will blast professors who do that because they should know better but mm -hmm. the student we often say well maybe they just don't know better right and this has sort of been a policy and it's 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 everything is is subjective and it's always a judgment call because at the end of the day you're talking about law students these are adults right and, and exactly and it's it, we view law school as a very like a liminal period where mm -hmm. you're you're between being you know a stupid kid and being an adult who we're about to give the keys to the profession to <laughs> uh, and making distinctions between those is hard mm -hmm. uh, when people make embarrassing ill-informed decisions we tend to we will report on them because they're news, but we will not necessarily name them because, hey, maybe, you know, that was a teachable moment for them that they used that term and now they know not to. So mm -hmm. why should that stick with them? Uh, in this instance, uh, we did come out and name these individuals. And the reason, of course, was that this wasn't really an embarrassing mistake. This right. is three. Th these are people who've been in law school for a long time and who know better and who are making affirmative written complaints with the intention of putting another student in jeopardy with their education solely because they don't like the jokes he made about them, even though they know full well that that's parody and shouldn't be a problem. And the other aspect to it that was of note mm -hmm. and that weighed in favor of naming these folks is that these folks, despite the fact that they just half-cocked, went after a kid's 
future, graduation, yeah, basically the ability uh, to sit for the bar. Des- yeah. yeah, despite knowing full well that it should be that there was no legal problem here, uh, these folks are about to start writing the laws that govern this country. Yeah. All of them have clerkships and circuit level, circuit level federal clerkships. Yeah. Uh, it will surprise you not at all <laughs> that they are pumped into a pipeline of the worst kind of career advancementism. Uh, We've written before about the way the Federalist Society basically takes students, encourages them to behave badly, host events that are, you know, just excuses to do parodies, making fun of immigrants and stuff like that. Mm, All of that sort of behavior is rewarded with the highest entree to more power. Uh, You get a better clerkship that way. You get the possibility of going to a feeder judge for the Supreme Court that way. Uh, It is a perverse system and it's troubling and all of these trolls are applauded. This is it appears the same sort of situation. These folks are clerking for Sutton, Riedler, and Timkovich, two from the sixth and the last from the um, tenth circuit. Mm-hmm. And that means they're going to be directly influencing the way in which the law operates in this country very soon. And it and seemed it, important. I, I think it also um, makes the story more more about sort of the evils of the Federalist Society, right? Because the whole thing starts with problematic behavior on sort of the FedSoc national level, right? Uh, and and their reaction to the insurrection of January 6th. And we see how this behavior and these attitudes are reinforced throughout the entirety of this kind of dispersed FedSoc system, right? Right. But I think it's clear, we need to kind of there are two things going on, and I think even mm-hmm. in my like diatribe there, I, I think we conflated them in ways that they shouldn't. The decision about naming folks was independent of the Federalist Society thing. It came because we determined that was not an embarrassing decision. It was more of an right. adult, affirmative, professional decision. It wouldn't matter if it had been ACS people complaining about a FedSoc kid. It would be the same sort of situation. The newsworthy aspect of it is the question of, hey, they're going to go work for these judges and mm-hmm. the way in which this applauds bad behavior. And Professor Leah Lippman on Twitter was kind of uh, straddling this. Uh, right. one, it, it is, it is. I think, uh, right. it, it's and, a real and, decision that has to be made. It's not something we, we took you know, lightly. Yeah, and we, and we think like the way in which she did it had benefits too. Uh, she said she didn't quite agree with us going all the way to naming who the people were, mm-hmm. but did think that we should, because it's newsworthy, point out the way in which they're going to these high-powered clerkships, well, which they, we weighed yeah. too, yeah, and I why think, we didn't do that was... It, well, because there's only a very small number of folks who clerk for each judge in a given year and saying, oh, well, it's down to one of these three people. If you're somebody who did not do this, it, yeah. it's kind of being painted with an unfair brush right, right there. Right, and, saying and like didn't, I didn't even go to Stanford, or and we didn't necessarily know if there were people uh, from those clerkships who, like, mm-hmm. multiple people from Stanford from those clerkships. Yeah, but I don't know. If there's a risk that there is, now you're you're potentially making somebody seem like they're guilty by association. We mm-hmm. didn't want that. Uh, we felt like that was another reason to go that one step further than what Professor Lippman had. Although I totally understand. I thought in in a lot of ways, I thought that was the right approach. Except we couldn't get yeah. over. Yeah, that, that what if we're unfairly painting somebody And else? I mean, listen, at the end of the day, these are not children. Mm-hmm. These are grown folks. They made a professional decision. You don't accidentally file <laughs> a complaint against a fellow student, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's an affirmative decision. It's in a professional context. They obviously thought that this was something that was a legal ethics sort of issue that could would have the ab- uh, ability to 
taint whether or not somebody could even take the bar exam. Yeah. Right. Which would totally mess up the trajectory of their career if they can't sit for their first right. uh, sitting of the bar exam. Even if you uh, you know are able to pass in in the second sitting, which is in February, most people have already started their jobs by then. Whereas most people are able to take the summer between law school and starting a a, career, a job, so they have time to study and to sit for the bar and to prepare for the bar. And so potentially changing the trajectory of someone's career is is a decision that you've made. Yeah. And and I don't think it's inappropriate to hold folks responsible for that. Right. And it, there, there were multiple factors going on. And the one that pushed us over was the the affirmativeness of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, they, they it was it was an interesting case. And uh, hopefully everybody out there listening is enjoying hearing basically a recap of what yeah. in real yeah. time Listen, took no, us as we talked yeah. through all of this mm-hmm. when we were given the information. But, you know, that's... That's the thing. Like you're going there, you're 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 going to be a professional, you know. And at a certain yeah. point, you have to be responsible for that because you've gone to law school to be a lawyer and, listen, and not I- an accountant. Take advantage of Nota, a no cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real time bank data. Visit trustnota.com/legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. The other thing I was going to say, I mean. You were done until I, I started it. No, but until I started the transition, and the transition like clearly sparked something, and I was already too far gone. I was already too far down. I I pulled I the transition listen, handle listen. from the earliest iterations of the above the law policy about protecting mm-hmm. students' identity. It has always been to protect folks from youthful indiscretions. Yeah. there was nothing youthful or indiscreet about what they did. It was a decision right. that was made. No one trips and accidentally files. Right. Yes, absolutely. With that said, let's talk about another thing that law uh, law students like to do, which is theoretically work over the summer. Normally, law students who are obviously in a professional school, a trade school, if you will, to learn a profession and then move on in that profession, a lot of that happens by taking work over the summer with law firms and legal departments that then pay you money while you're learning the trade in a real, like, Sure. Apprenticeship almost. Um, and in just, many cases, it's your long-term job on the back end. Sure, but I think it might be a bridge too far to call summer associateships apprenticeships. It's oftentimes characterized by uh, social events and uh, an informal getting-to-know-you process than actual assignments. Okay. Well, so you're clearly going to come out the, the opposite way on this story then. <laughs> Harvard Law School, apparently, it's come to our attention, has a policy with students who are on certain forms of financial aid, the grant process, where essentially those who are in sufficient need who don't need to take out loans then, but are given grants to cover the cost of attendance so that they can be there, even though they don't have the financial means to cover Harvard's massive tuition. It has come to our attention that the way in which the school deals with this summer work that these students then are able to get with the benefit of their being Harvard Law students is to say, well, we assume for four months out of the year, 8000 bucks is good enough for you to live in New York City and do all the things you need to do for your your summer associateship. So we'll let you have that eight grand. And then after that, I don't know, maybe you give us 90% of all your earnings above that back. And uh, then we'll uh, call this even. Yeah, I, I do not agree with Harvard's decision. Here. I mean, <laughs> summer associateship is just having lunches all the time. Listen, so it it's d- not doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's still an essential way that you are able to secure that job a lot. You know, yeah. you're, you, it's very hard to get 
a big law job if you have not previously done a summer associateship at that firm. So it's an essential component, regardless of what it consists of. The justification for it in theory, which there's a certain on-paper logic to this, which is folks were financially strapped. Now they have an influx of money. That probably takes them outside of that strapped. So maybe we'll keep the grants going. You give us some of that back directly as tuition, and it'll work out. That makes some sense intellectually. The paucity of the allowance that they're getting considering the places that they have to live, Mm -hmm. and then the massive slice of the pie. I know some other schools do similar stuff, but from what I've been able to ascertain, people are taking like 50% of what's on top of whatever. 90 is 90 is a little rough. And on top of that, they will also readjust the amount of grant that you may need in the future, in addition to taking this tuition money. And what we also heard about were some people who were told, well, you don't need to do that. You could also take out a loan to cover the gap as you've lost all this money. So you, you've you earned this money. You've now given it back to the school. And the way they do that is by reducing your grant going forward that amount. But you don't have that amount necessarily because they're doing it based on what you've earned for the year. You've not actually earned that. You only were there for a few months. Uh, and that money, most of which you don't actually have because you haven't filed your taxes to get that mm-hmm. money back. And some people made points to me after I wrote this article like, well, you could file quarterly and do both. And it's like, yeah, but how about we yeah. We assume that we'll, law students are law we'll do students. do what the majority and, of people are going to do. And are going to be more like a the, the reasonable person and not do that. And file in April and get their mm-hmm. money then. So they're now being held to, well, you got all this money, but you didn't really get all this gross money because it's all handled by gross amounts. And you don't have that because it all got withheld and you're not going to get that till later. It's just brutal. And what struck me about the whole problem but, is, mm-hmm. yeah. I was going to say, the thing that got me is that the longer you work, the worse off you are. Yes. uh, There was a marginal issue with it, which is that if you worked an eight-week program, you would end up better off after all the uh, deductions and readjustments Mm -hmm. happen than if you worked the 12 weeks. There should never be a scenario in which you end up worse off working more. That's (laughs) the whole... Like, that's the whole thing with marginal tax rates, you know? Like, when people say, well, rich people pay 98%. It's like, no, they don't. They pay the same rates everybody does, Until except they on that, the amounts yeah. over. That last dollar may get taxed at a higher rate, but not the ones before. Same here. You should not have a system that says <laughs> you earned more money, so you will make less of it on the back end. And in these cases, in the straight-up comparisons, they're worse off than people who are paying for law school through other means. People who are paying for other means are paying a few hundred bucks less per year than the folks who are getting these grants, which is extra insane, considering the whole point of this was to make this more viable for people. And it's also fairly galling the way in which it was it was postured, uh, at least the way the school seems to be talking about it, and not that they made direct statements to, to say, it, but we they... heard from students who had talked to But they them. haven't come out with a statement. Right. It, when we've heard from students who've been negotiating with sure. them and stuff. It seems as though the argument is, well, I mean, you could be taking lower paying like public service jobs, and this wouldn't be as big a deal. And it, the kind of galling aspect of it is the idea that the purpose of bringing people into the access and power that a Harvard Law degree can provide coming from lower means, it's not 
to then spit them back out to do more lower meansy jobs. Right. Like they're it, literally trying to maintain this kind of dichotomy between the people yes. who are able to make money with their Harvard law degree and those who are not. Yes, the the legacies who are paying with trust funds sure. get to go on and continue they being can make legacies as much with money trust as they funds. Want. Yeah, then it it really did feel as though the argument was, well, why should this matter to you? You're here to go do public interest stuff, which not to besmirch public interest work. Of course not. And more people. It's very important. Yeah. And but I wish the, more I, people with Harvard law degrees were able and willing and whatever. The idea is that you would never look at the trust fund student mm-hmm. and say, well, shouldn't we really be taking your money because you should be doing public interest stuff? Also, which they probably this should. should not at all be the law school's decision. Yeah. Right. This should be completely up to the individual. And there's a million different reasons why you might want to do public interest work or it may not be appropriate for you. And the fact that the law school's kind of putting their their finger or their thumb on the scale in one direction or the other is wild. Yeah, I, it, it it's real bad. And I understand their their position. But like the worst part of it is also like they say, oh, well, we're we've got to get it back somehow, because otherwise we'd be giving away this money based on financial need that these students don't necessarily have as much of a need anymore. And my take on that is, well, yeah. Freaking Harvard, who cares? You've got a $40 billion endowment. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And the whole point of this is not to stick it to, like, because if the idea is to help bring people into this playing field, you don't necessarily have to spend the whole time saying, well, the rich people were ahead already, but we're going to make sure that you don't get any extra close to them. Like, what? Like, fine. So they get an extra yeah. six grand in a year because you didn't take away 90% of their money. Is that really that is what not the going, hill you want to die on? This is also, this is not a make or break moment for Harvard, yeah. right? Like, they don't need that 6K. They don't. I, I wouldn't think so. And, anyway. and you, know how you, you know how you know they don't need it? Mm-hmm. Because if they were doing public interest jobs, the school will be fine with it. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they do, they don't need the money. They just see it as an opportunity to nickel and dime and get an extra six K from kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. See, I would have thought that this is where we would do like an accounting ad read because, you know, literally you have to be an accountant in order to make this work at Harvard. So is your are you questioning the way in which I kind of run the I mean the ads I don't of this to, organization? Yeah, like I was you, yeah, so you're exactly. you're suggesting there's yeah. like some bigger administrative uh, problem uh, with how uh, we're doing uh, this. Uh, 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 uh. Maybe it's time to streamline administrative tasks. And for that, let's check in with the people at Lexicon. Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com slash go to learn more. Well, we've almost come to time. We haven't even gotten to... We, we had two other stories on the agenda. I mean, agenda. both of those are pretty big, terrible stories. Big stories, yeah. Today, well, I guess we, we may... We'll see. Depending on how productive this week is, we may have to spill over and uh, come back. Thankfully, these are fairly evergreen stories. Mm, there you go. Yeah. So if you are already listening to this show, that's great. 
go ahead and make it a real commitment by subscribing. That way you'll get all of these. <laughs> that's the kind of commitment you, you're ready for. That's about the highest that's, level that's I can That's where come you up are with. as yep. a human. You can, uh, you can subscribe and get these sent to you uh, as soon as they come out. You should be giving reviews and stars and writing things to show some engagement. That leads them to, you know recommend it to other people who have similar interests and that's all good you should check out the jabot which is Catherine's other podcast you should check out the legal tech week journalists roundtable which is a show that i'm on uh talking about legal tech stuff big legal tech news this week with a couple of ipos coming out uh, from legal Ooh, tech companies that we got never, a lot to talk about that It'll never be happens very interesting yeah no that's definitely going to be a big part of it uh, you should be reading Above the Law, as always. You should check us out on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, uh, the numeral one uh, in that instance. You should be checking out all the other programs from the Legal Talk Network. Thanks, of course, to Nota, powered by m and Bank and Lexicon for sponsoring. And with all of that, I think we're done. Peace. All right.